Welcome to You to Know Beans, the podcast that today asks the question, is there anybody out there who knows more about coffee than Alia and Melissa? And in fact, we might answer that question today. I'm Dan, and I will be mostly silent today. I'm Alia, and I'm ironically kind of speechless. <laughs> and I'm Melissa, and I want to know the age-old question, does coffee make you poop? Who have we got with us today, Miss Alia? Today, we have Simon Springer, our resident coffee expert. Simon, say hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. And Simon, tell us about yourself. Where do you work? What do you do? Why do you know so much about coffee? It's a good question. I grew up in Seattle, uh, and I actually grew up around the third wave coffee wave before it was cool. Um, my, my mother is a big coffee freak and would take me to all the coffee shops with her. And, uh, I just grew up around the food business. Um, I came up in the kosher food business and things like that in New York, partially Seattle as well, but it all came back to coffee and, and Seattle. And there was always a stigma of, well, I must be the most caffeinated person in the room because I'm from Seattle. So I kind of just ran with it. And being that my, my family's been in the food business since the 1600s on both sides of my family, I just kind of ran with it and decided to specialize in something that I could take outside of New York. And when I did move outside of New York um, to Indiana, uh, I was able to take the coffee business with me. And uh, here I am today. And are you in the, the wholesale side of things or um, retail or I don't know what so else well, it could be. <laughs> I, I started off. I started off on the retail side, um, the single bags, the single pound bags. I tried to start a marketplace online, um, and that was a lot more work than it was uh, made out to be. And um, as I was still in New York, and I was still working in the kosher food industry, I started selling coffee to some of the restaurants that I, I serviced um, in my other positions. At that time, thankfully. Um, because of uh, friendships made with chefs and restaurant owners, I was able to see what the business would be like in the, on that end. And then, so I cut, at that point, I had cut out the single bag uh, service and I, I focused mainly on restaurants. And then when I realized that most restaurants want a certain service uh, that I just couldn't provide, which meant very, very expensive coffee machines, uh, espresso machines and things like that, I took the idea and just tweaked it a little bit and went to the office coffee. And I went to um, tech offices around uh, Long Island. You have a whole bunch of coders sitting there, you know, pounding the keyboards and, you know, working uh, 20 hour days trying to get out, you know, whatever programming they're doing, getting uncaffeinated is of the utmost importance. Of course. Um, and so a good cup of coffee for an, for an employer means that it actually saves them money and time and increases productivity. So when I was able to use that as a selling point for me to sell, that's when uh, that's when I really uh, started taking off, and it ended up being a you know prior to COVID, I had about thirty clients over eight states, and I was moving a ton of coffee a month. It was it was it was insane, and it was all specialty coffees. It wasn't uh, it wasn't mass produced uh, mass produced stuff. It wasn't even the 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 high production. I don't want to say mom and pop shops, but mom and pop shops that were able to produce a higher amount, usually regional, sometimes not, but I was able to kind of outsource their coffee, a distributorship in a sense of fresh 
uh, specialty coffees to offices that wanted a higher end product. So talk about that actually a little bit. Like what's the difference between, as you say, sort of a, a you know, mass produced versus um, a, a slightly more unique perhaps, or, or um, higher end coffee. What, what kind of distinguishes those two types? As coffee goes, I mean, you're talking quality over quantity. And even if you had quality beans, you still have trouble procuring certain amounts depending on where you, where you source it from. So a lot of the bigger coffee uh, roasters, uh, you know, I'll, for instance, let's say Brooklyn Roasting Company out of, out of um, Dumbo. Um, they have an amazing product. It's a, it's a phenomenal roast house, but they do a lot of business. I mean, thankfully, good for them. But when you start roasting up to a certain amount, I don't want to say your quality control goes down, but it's impossible to have the same type of quality control and the same type of roast profiles as you would with five kilos, 10 kilos, 20 kilos when you're doing thousands of kilos. So it's just, it's just a matter of practicality. And, and that's not to say that uh, an outfit like uh, Brooklyn Roasting Company is bad. They're, again, I still drink their coffee even in Indiana. But the reality is, is that once you get to a certain point, you're not able to have the same hands-on experience as a roaster as you would um, if you had just a single, you know, a single machine versus the, the major uh, mass roasters. So you have quite a coffee pedigree. I mean, that's kind of a lot to boast saying that your, your family has been more or less in the coffee business since, what did you say? Like the 1100s? Well, so, well, it was in the food business. Oh, uh, in the food business. I, I lived in Seattle and coffee was life there. Yeah, um, of course. You, you, you got to deal with the rain somehow, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the um, pick me up what most people need. Yeah, right. You get just slosh through the day. You know, I lived in, an, in a neighborhood that was a little bit more affluent. The, the local fair was um, very quality, very specialty, very high end stuff um, because the, the clientele demanded it. You know, the neighborhood I lived in had a lot of the Sonic, the Seattle Supersonics and the Mariners and the Seahawks that, so they were going, you know, I, I would often meet a lot of, you know, interesting uh, sports players, even though I wasn't really into sports, but I would, I would meet these guys and they demanded a certain quality of product because they could. And right. so there was, there was one specific uh, roastery in, in the town I grew up in, in Woodenville, Washington named uh, Old Mill Coffee Shop. The guy that ran it was a guy named Glenn and he and my mom were very close friends. I remember just watching him, you know, roast those beans. And this is, you know, I was drinking coffee. I was young, but I was drinking coffee. But I remember just how interesting and he was so focused, you know, in the 15-ish minutes that it took to roast the, uh, roast the bag of coffee. It was just so interesting to see how he worked and the smells that came out of it and how he raise the heat and open the flu and then drop the heat. It was very involved. And while I'm, you know, if I ever wanted a roast, I don't think I could because my head wouldn't be able to focus like that. Uh, <laughs> it just became, it was very interesting. Was, and I, I always took it with me. It was something I always remembered. So. That's really cool. And mm -hmm. something that we um, notice here a lot on our podcast, as you know, we kind of go through a lot of coffee and we've tasted a lot of coffee. And um, incidentally, I, I was laughing at the beginning because Dan was saying that uh, uh, just speaking about how Melissa and I have this vast coffee knowledge, um, that, that is just simply not true. <laughs> In fact, um, the reason we started this podcast was that 
we both just really loved coffee, but we realized we actually knew very little about it. And I think, you know, I, I want, maybe I'm projecting or something, but I want to say a lot of people kind of fall into that category and that, you know, uh, you love the product, but you really don't know much more about the product aside from your own consumption. I was wondering, like, uh, just, you know, maybe we could start and talk and kind of dispel some myths about coffee, just clear up some misconceptions, maybe. But you speak a lot about the quality of coffee and um, having a a high-end coffee rather than like a store-bought brand. If you did a blind taste test, what distinguishes a great coffee from a meh coffee? You can find a phenomenal $10 bottle of wine and you can find a garbage $300 bottle of wine, right? And right. Wine, wine and coffee are very similar in that the beans take on, they have a terroir of, the, of their own. You know, if you have a bean that comes from Sumatra or Java, or Papua New Guinea is going to taste different than coming from Ethiopia. And the one that coming from Ethiopia is going to taste different. That's coming from Yemen versus uh, uh, Nicaragua or Colombia, or even the, the, the weird stuff that's coming, you know, they're, they're trying to grow stuff in uh, California. I believe um, I once had a coffee from St. Helena Island in, um, in the Atlantic. And that, that was vastly different than anything else. The, I blame Napoleon for that one. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. You asked me to, to to dispel myths. I mean, first and foremost, you can get a good cup of coffee out of any bean that really comes from anywhere. If again, if you like it, it's going to be good. But if you want to start talking about quality and higher end and things of that nature, you're going to want to start looking into before I even get there. The whole concept of organic or uh, free trade, all that stuff, those are marketing myths and, and those need to be uh, dismissed immediately. And that's not a political statement. That's not an anything. The reality is, is that a lot of these uh, fincas um, down in, in um, you know, like Nicaragua, if they started paying the wages of, um, of like American wages, it would put the finca, out, the, the farm out of, uh, out of business. Um, and so it becomes a marketing ploy here. So when you're considering a coffee and when you're considering something that you want to try don't let that play into it that's just a seriously heavy marketing thing if you're going to go to a supermarket you might have a little harder time maybe you know in new york you have uh, grimaldi's they might have a, a higher end coffee if you go to um to the farmer's market they, they they'll usually have one two three different roasters try those out those are usually really good Facebook also has several uh, coffee roaster groups that you can find and you can really get down the rabbit hole. But, you know, but as a, as a general rule, you're going to want to look at something that, that really speaks to you. Now, I wouldn't suggest jumping right into something like an Ethiopian Yirgacheff or an Ardo Simani. It's called coffee, but it doesn't taste like coffee as, as we know it, as the American palate knows it. Um, the American palate is, is used to a South American, usually a Colombian, because they make something like one third of the world's coffee. Um, that's, the, that's the terroir of the coffee that we understand. So you want to have your baseline with a quality coffee from a quality roaster from someplace like that. Um, I generally, I actually push people towards a roaster out of uh, Camino Island, Washington, which is near my parents' house now. The Colombian Reserve Coffee, it's a little pricey but it's one of the best Colombians I've ever drank. 
and it's perfectly roasted. It, you don't feel, you don't have a, the, the burn flavor as you would on other coffees. The, the caffeine intake, you don't, it doesn't push you up too fast and it doesn't crash too, too, uh, too fast. It's a very even keeled, you'll feel it obviously because you, you have caffeine in your system, but it's not, it, it doesn't have that extremism that, that uh, like a poorly roasted coffee would have. Now you touched on two topics that people ask about a lot. And first of which is the flavor profile of a bean. Um, we make kind of a big deal of that on the show because we're, you know, oftentimes we're trying to get to the bottom of whether it's snarketing or actually, actually true. So first of all, what, what are the main factors that determine the flavor profile of a coffee? And second of all, what is the idea behind caffeine here? Um, a lot of people will not go into coffee because they think, oh, it's too much of a buzz, too much, too much caffeine. What determines how much caffeine is in a coffee? We'll start backwards, I guess. What determines how much caffeine? So generally, we drink the general, the general um, bean that, that, that's consumed uh, nationally. Uh, internationally is the is an arabica bean and you know different variations thereof but it's all within the arabica family arabica is not a selling point it's just the name and so when you see a hundred percent arabica it's like saying well you're drinking a hundred percent water when you're drinking a bottle of water like okay nice because generally the other beans are either going to be more expensive or they're going to be so bitter that you can't you can't function for instance a lot of uh, roasters will use Robusta beans, which is they come from a lower elevation. They're not, it's not as finely, um, the tastes aren't as finely developed due to the elevation and things like that. Um, they're very, very high in caffeine, but extremely, extremely bitter. And they're used in, a lot in espresso blends. So generally, if that bitter flavor you get from an espresso, if it's a mix with Robusta, is going to be, is going to be that real sharp um, bitterness is going to be the Robusta. Um, Arabica's have the bitterness obviously because coffee has a bitter thing to it but it's not gonna be as bitter as as robusta bean now in terms of the flavor profiles it's what you're used well first again to create the baseline is what you're used to so everyone's used to you know even myself as someone who drinks high-end coffee i'll still go to 7-eleven you know sometimes there's fashion and sometimes there's function and generally that flavor that you get a 7-eleven or the general flavor at a starbucks which is a, a different creature altogether is going to be South American and generally a Colombian ish, you know, they're even, there's even different flavors within the South American palette, but generally we understand as a, as a, as a consumer in America that the Colombian palette is where we're at and you can have all the coffees in the world, but you, you want, there's going to be a certain coffee flavor. You, and that's, if you were to think, Wow, what does a cup? What does a cup of coffee taste like? You, that's what will be the first thing that hits your 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 mouth. That's where that's going to be your baseline. But again, like like wine, coffee has a terroir. You can get chocolate notes. You can get tobacco notes. You can get um, very deep. Like there's a there was a roaster out of uh, New York, I believe. He had a Papua New Guinea bean that had like a menthol flavor almost. If you were to take you know drink it black, you know you take the sip and then. Do like one of the, like a, 
I don't even know, like a slurping sound almost. Yeah, like the, the, the wine tasting slurp. Right, right. Yeah. It's funny, as, as, as developed as I guess I am with coffee, I, I can't, I don't understand wine even the slightest, but <laughs> uh, um, the same, that same concept, you would get a, like a menthol, like you just had a menthol cigarette. Or, so how so how does that work though? Is it is it mostly like altitude or soil or it's um, all it's all soil development. That's uh-huh. all it is. Again, Papua New Guinea and all that stuff is you're looking at volcanic, uh, you know, ashes and things like that, as well as a, a very high um, rain rate. And then also there's also an idea of a of a development after the bean's been picked and processed. And there's different ways to do that honey, uh, you know, honey processing versus dry versus wet. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of, there's all sorts of things and, you know, not to bog down with too many uh, details, but in parts of Brazil, let's say, it's going to be a lot drier than it is in Indonesia. So in Indonesia, there's a certain funk that will attach itself to the bean, which actually amplifies the flavors because it's just so humid and heavy there. Um, it can't properly dry, but instead of, instead of just chucking the beans and, and, and starting fresh, what they do is they, they help develop it to help really bring out the flavors like a cheese, almost all consumable items have a very similar path where instead of chucking something like a, a, a moldy wheel of cheese, it helps develop that flavor or tobaccos. Even like if you put a tobacco, uh, a pipe tobacco in a jar and you let it sit for a couple of years in your basement, it develops the flavor of the, of the tobacco. So beans are very similar. The, the coffee beans are very similar. And again, environment and processing and time between picking and processing and packing, et cetera, they all play into how the, the taste of the bean develops. I see. I have a question. We've been kind of focusing on mostly getting dark roast because that's kind of what our preference is. But it seems that when everything we've gotten so far has said it's been the darkest of beans. And when we look at it, it usually is not very dark. Uh, is I feel like what I consider to be dark roast maybe isn't, it might be more of a, I guess, a variety of colors. You know, what makes, I guess, what makes something dark? What makes something medium? I guess you really could say like the, the color of the bean will dictate light dark and you know light medium dark in the coffee world there's there's even other indicators uh city city plus city minus again getting down that rabbit hole can be really uh interesting but also you know it'll keep you up till four o'clock in the morning for three years straight like it did me the concept of a light roast and a dark roast is really just the amount of time it's roasted a dark roast obviously is something that's been roasted longer versus a light roast which is something that's been roasted less time so basically it's a state of mind. It's a, it's a state, it's a state, of, it's a state of being. It's a state, it's really, that's what it is. It's a state of being. We as consumers have an understanding that, well, we have a thought that a, uh, a dark roast means it's, there's more caffeine and it's more flavor and whatever, but the reality is it's not. And there's, and there's two sciences behind it, right? One of them is, um, that if you, the longer you roast the bean, the more caffeine is cooked out. And then there's other sciences that will say that actually no caffeine is cooked out. I don't know where I sit. I generally feel that caffeine can't, is probably cooked out because that's the nature of processing. But you'll find people arguing back and forth within the coffee world like you wouldn't believe. So I just don't get, <laughs> I don't get involved in that. But So almost starting with a better bean, 
a light roast might still be more flavorful and, and frankly, a better cup of coffee than a dark roast with a worse bean that you're starting with. Yes. Right on the nose. You hit it right on the nose. And again, each bean, I have a roaster friend out of Iowa and I'm, I'm going to give him a plug because I, first of all, he's a good friend of mine and I, I love him dearly. Uh, Ross, Ross Street Roasting, which I, I, you've, you, you've had, I believe. Uh, I, I think I have. Yeah. 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 So I, I love the guy dearly. He's, he's a good friend, but he's also one of the most competent roasters. He has a bean that I adore. He only gets his hands on every once in a while. It comes from Peru, one single farm at a certain altitude, altitude in Peru from the Cajamarca region of Peru. And the first time I had it, I ordered it for Passover because I was going to my in-laws. I wanted to bring a good coffee because I can't drink the, the granulated stuff that they usually have. So I want to bring my own coffee. I brought the coffee. We went through five pounds in seven days. It was, wow. it was, it was ridiculous. The coffee was the absolute perfect coffee. And until this day, it's, it is my favorite coffee that I've ever had. Tell us what the name or name of the blend or the name of the coffee was so that people the can have a look Ross, out for it. Ross Street Roasting. And it's the, the, the Peru Cajamarca. Um, C-A-J-A-M-A-R-C-A or something like that. <laughs> yeah, we, we, can, we can put a link up in, in our, um, no, so in our he does, and stuff. So he doesn't always get it because it's a harder, to, it, I don't say it's a harder to find bean, but it's, a, it's, it's not a common bean. Right. Uh, the single farm that he gets it from only has X amount of space to grow coffee. I usually uh, pick myself up a pound or two and uh, just sit, you know, sit and enjoy it like a, like I would anything else. But I mean, it's a very special bean. It's, it's smooth. There's a velvety feel in your mouth feel that goes through it with chocolate over t- uh, undertones and some real, just very clean um, drinking. So, you know, I'm not above putting a splash of milk in my coffee. And I'll put a you know a little bit of milk, and it's the perfect cup of coffee. It's just the perfect cup of coffee. I don't remember why I can't. I, I started with this, but <laughs> well, I got since it. You're, we get that well, way, I, I'll, I'll distract you further. Uh, <laughs> since you're talking about the perfect cup of coffee, what is your preferred method of brewing? Who? That's a phenomenal question. No, no pressure or anything. No, no yeah. pressure. No, no hate mail will get to you. So it's okay. Well, yeah, you know, big <laughs> coffee. I'm, I'm scared of big coffee, you know? Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you now too, because if, if you would do different coffees in different ways, feel free to <laughs> extemporize so, off of that. So right now, actually, my preferred way is, is the easy way, which is I have a Melita pour over cup with Melita, non-bleached Melita filters. You can get them in the supermarket. It's just quick, simple, and you know. Again, I have three kids. I am running, you know, running carpool in the morning. I, I don't have a lot of time to sit and play with my coffee. As it's much a as totally I, respectable choice. Right. However, if I had my druthers, my Chemex is my preferred. the The way the Chemex builds the filters, I don't like a lot of the oils that come that that come with it because I don't like a heavy feeling in my mouth. What I do like, however, is just that clean, crisp feeling that comes from drinking a, a good cup of coffee. So having the stuff that is not desirable to me filtered out is great. A lot of people love their Chemex. And honestly, it's just, it's a really beautiful system. You know, right. I'm just the, the glass uh, cask and the, um, and the wooden ring around it. I mean, it's, it, it really is a work of art just it's to a, have in your kitchen. 
it's a it's a hipster utensil and i i embrace it like you wouldn't believe uh, it's it, it really i have two or three of them in my kitchen now you know for different different all different sizes all different <laughs> sizes well actually it's the, it's the biggest size all the biggest sizes because i i'm kind of an extremist that way but uh, yeah but the chemex is i don't think you could find a better brew method right now um than a chemex i right now and i'm enjoying a cup of dark side of the moon by blossom coffee okay and their marketing on this is they're calling them slightly oily beans. Oil just means fresh. Yeah. So that's, that's our question. So what, what do you want oil on your beans? Do you, yes. do you want shiny beans? Do you want yes. the oil slick on top of your, on top of your coffee? Like how, no. how far do we go here and where does this well, oil come did, from? How did, how did you uh, prepare your beans? Uh, let me first, how did you brew your beans? This time I, I brewed an espresso with a nanopresso. Okay. So there's very little filtration on that. So you're going to get the oil slick on top, especially with an oil, a more oily bean. Mm -hmm. Oil is not a bad thing. The oil on it is, you know, the essence of a bean effect effectively. So a nice bean should have a nice sheen to it. But if, I mean, if it's dripping in oil, I've, I've never seen a bean really drip in oil. There was one roaster that I did have a, a really dark roast and the bean looked like an oil slick. I held it and I had oily fingers, not, not, not just, not just like a little bit or whatever. Like I had oily fingers. It was a Sumatran bean, I believe if I, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And um, so is it going to be an oilier bean? It really has to do with freshness as far as I can gather. It really has to do with freshness and how it was roasted. A good, a good roasted bean should have some oil, but not like a, a grease ball. Right. Um, but it shouldn't look dry either. A dry bean means that it's either been over roasted or it's been sitting there a long time. And the and the efficacy of of said bean is uh, compromised. Yeah. So a coffee bean is act I mean, it's I went we went over this before. It's not actually a bean. It's it's a seed, right? It's, it's a seed of it's a seed of a co of the coffee plant there, the coffee cherry. So seeds just have oil in them. So is that what we're seeing is that the oils are coming to the surface during roasting? Yes. Mostly everything that you can consume, that, like a natural thing, is going to have some oil in it. I mean, sesame seeds, you can get sesame oil. Grape seeds, you get grape, grape seed oil. Coffee bean, again, you're not going to, I don't think you're, you're going to press it and make it into uh, some type of cooking oil, but there's, there's inherently going to be an oil within, within the, within the bean. So it's going to come out. Some generally will have more, some will have less, I guess. Uh, Simon answered the question for the ignorant non-coffee drinker. That would be me. Does coffee make you poop? And if it does, do you know why? Hard hitting questions. Um, well, I, I haven't the slightest idea. My assumption is, is that the caffeine plays a role in that. I mean, you know, back in college, if you have a cigarette and a coffee, you definitely have to, uh, you have to run, you know, run to the loo, as they say, but <laughs> okay, so, it's, so not, it's not ever something, it's not something I've ever really studied. I'll be it, honest with you. So it it doesn't come up in the wholesale business then is what you're saying. I, I did. I did once make a joke that, uh, that they're going to have to increase their, the toilet paper purchases. purchases. But that's about it. <laughs> so confirmed coffee does make you poop all right I, i'm assuming <laughs> I, hope so. 
I said our next interview will end up being with a proctologist. Perhaps we can, we can address <laughs> the question there. It's, it's actually funny in the health part of it, right? There is a whole thing about is coffee and like that much caffeine good for you? The reality is, is that coffee also is a diuretic. So too much, too much coffee consumption can actually, while coffee is good for you, there are tons and tons and tons of studies that coffee is good for you. Uh, too much can um, dehydrate you. And even more so the caffeine plus the dehydration can cause and or, or really exacerbate your kidney stones if you have kidney stones. So, you know, word, word to the wise, try to keep it at one or two coffees a day. I wouldn't suggest and drinking hydrated. and stay hydrated. Yeah. Make sure, <laughs> make sure you, every cup of coffee you have, you have a, some water as well. Also in terms of uh, how you prep it, French press is a really wonderful way of making coffee, but if you have heart problems, keep it at one a day, try to do less and try not to, dr- or try not to drink it and try to dr- try to drink coffee another way because the oils and all the things in that are actually very bad for your heart. Let me praise that. They're fine for your heart, but if you, they can exacerbate existing issues. So you must be careful when drinking more than one cup of coffee if you have heart problems. Simon, this has been great. Um, let's give you an opportunity to uh, share some information about your own company. If you have a website or anything well, else so you want to I, share with people. I'm just going to, I'm going to um, sidetrack that for now because I, um, actually, in my old business, the Roasters Collective, I, I closed down. I'm in the process of opening it up in a different variety right now. So uh, what, watch this space. There's more coming from you soon, we hope. Yeah, sure. Simon, thanks for coming on with us and answering so many of our coffee questions. My yeah, pleasure. Thank you. It's Anytime. been great. My, my pleasure. Anytime. And if anybody else has additional questions about coffee that you would like answered, please email us at you don't know beans podcast at gmail.com. All of our information is in, um, what do you call those things? It's, it's in the bio, the link tree, <laughs> the link tree thing, the link tree, maybe. Yes. Go on to the link tree <laughs> somewhere in the podcast. And yeah. Our, our episode it. information will have all of this available for you. Thanks for joining us, guys. You Don't Know Beans was written and produced by all of us, Melissa Davis, Dan Sokolow, and me, Alia Fleischer. Sound editing by Dan Sokolow and Alia Fleischer. Music this week by Kazumi Totaka. Special thanks to our guest, Simon Springer, formerly of the Roasters Collective. Please check out our show information for some sources mentioned in the show. You can download us now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other places you find your podcasts. To learn more about our show and the coffees we review, come visit us on Instagram and Twitter at You Don't Know Beans. If you like us, please give us a thumbs up on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends. If you don't, it might be funny to share anyway. We here at You Don't Know Beans want the opportunity to showcase voices from all parts of the coffee industry. That said, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions or beliefs of this program. If you would like your voice heard, please DM us on Instagram or drop us an email. Thanks for listening and see you next week.